We are Dr. Sarah Bone and Dr. Lisa Tartaglia. We are both actively practicing osteopathic physicians, dual boarded in family medicine and hospice and palliative medicine. You Only Die Once is a virtual place for sharing information about serious illness, the end of life process, hospice and palliative medicine with the patient, the family, and the practitioner. You only die once, and we believe it can and should be a good death. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Dr. Lisa Tartaglia. Dr. Sarah Bohm. And we're coming to you today to talk about hospitalizations and specialists in one year time. Based on your hospitalization history and the number of specialists, it can indicate a lot to us about your illness and how serious it is. Mm -hmm. And I think that oftentimes when we receive a palliative consult, um, we are going in because these patients have chronic illnesses and, and serious illness and maybe disease progression, and we're faced with shock and disbelief and um, from both the patients and families. And they've maybe told, been told by their specialist, everything is good, and maybe what they should have said is, for what's happening, you're doing okay. Because everything is not good, that's why you have to go see the specialist, and maybe that's why your medications are changing, and maybe that's why you're not feeling as well, not feeling as strong, maybe you're losing weight, but things are good for where you're at. Right. Um, we'll hear things like, oh, we were never told that we were that sick. Um, what do you mean? There's no cure for this disease? You're the first one that ever told me this. Mm -hmm. And then there's a lot of uh, personal, I don't want to say failure. I don't know. You have to help me come up with the word. But when I tell you the question is, you know, we hear a lot of like the patients say, why is this happening to me or to us? And and that's not any fault of of yours or, you know, it's not our body. Our, you know, we are mortal and changes do happen and diseases do take their toll on us. And so our job is to, you know, help you understand where you are in your disease stage you know, what your state is, certainly you want to know what the disease state name is, and you want to know the stage of the illness and how it's progressing, what it's like to, likely to look like over time, so you can help plan and you can be proactive. Right. And sometimes when we go in to do a consult, we're approached with such relief because the loved ones have seen a decline in their in their person, mm -hmm. and even the patient has seen the decline, and they keep bringing it up to the healthcare team. And they're just bombarded, well, well, we're going to try this and we're going to try that. And it's, you know, the paternalistic uh, view of medicine that is slowly going away. And also um, a view for physicians that believe that um, we are immortal, mm -hmm. um, which is not true. We are mortal. And they don't want to, they, they view it as worsening of disease is giving up or maybe they're not right. good enough physician. And it's not, it's not about giving up. I, I know I took care of a patient not too long ago that um, had advanced memory impairment and they had a separate process in addition to the memory impairment of not being able to swallow. They'd mm. had some scarring in their swallowing tube. They'd had a dilatation procedure done many times over the past 10 or 15 years from chronic reflux. And so they couldn't bolus and swallow very well because of their dementia. But then with the added change of their esophagus and their they're like, it's not, you know, it should milk to make mm -hmm. that food go down. It's not going down very well. So they have a lot of swallow problems. 
they had a pneumonia, they got a urinary tract infection, they went to the hospital, and so they're going to put in these different tubes. Well, I guess the patient kind of came alive, mm -hmm. uh, like with multiple arms and legs like an octopus, because when they're trying to put that tube in the nose, the patient is, you know, basically saying, we're not no doing way. any of that. He does have advanced dementia, so he doesn't know mm -hmm. what they're doing is trying to feed him through a tube, but it's been like five, maybe seven days, and he's not had anything to eat or drink because he's having so much trouble with this dysphagia. So they want to try taking him to interventional radiology to pass it with a wire, and if that doesn't work, then they're going to try to take him to GI and put a tube in the belly, and they're just proceeding as if this is what the family wants, mm -hmm. and nobody really asked them. Yeah, and it and for us, that's so disturbing, we, right? We shouldn't assume what they want or what they don't want. So they, the team involved uh, the palliative group, mm -hmm. and we sat down and just asked them, you know, what do you understand? What do you want to know? What are you concerned about? You know, what are the assumptions that we're making? Are those correct about how you want this treated? And one of them, you know, one of the older family members set forward and said, after we do this, is he going to be better mentally? Are we just wow. delaying the inevitable? Because we know he's got memory problems, and then the swallow thing is kind of like that, but it's also separate. And, you know, you can go to choosingwisely.org, and we can put that in the description below, and it talks about feeding tubes in patients mm -hmm. with advanced dementia. And that's not the major reason why this person's not swallowing. It's, an, it's another reason from a mm -hmm. scarring process. But the family's like, we're not sure we want to do any of these tubes. Well, the team caring for this person had never really asked the family about the outcomes. So this whole conversation really took a turn, a 90-degree wow. angle turn from we're, this is what we're doing to why. And the family was the one that asked the question. That's awesome. I have to say this is so awesome because I cannot tell you how many times I receive patients that have family that's not active in the care mm -hmm. and they're just going along with what the medical team um, does and the outcome is horrific, meaning they'll get the feeding tube and the patient still ends up passing in mm -hmm. several days to weeks because they're, they nobody has explained to them why the patient needs a feeding tube. So the whole point of our, um, of our lecture today is really, really to talk about three rules of threes mm -hmm. that we found um, that we use to help prognosticate and ha will hopefully help you all be able to make better decisions um, for your loved ones. So the first rule has to do with the number of admissions that you've had regarding the same organ system not working correctly within like a 12-month time period. Mm -hmm. Has a person had like three heart attacks this year? Have they had heart failure exacerbation three times this year? Mm -hmm. Do they have um, advanced COPD or interstitial lung disease or bad asthma? Is there some reason the patient's not been able to breathe mm -hmm. and had to go to the hospital? Um, fibrosis, asthma, you know, what's happening with their lungs that they keep having to go back to the hospital? Right. How about with their kidneys? A lot of times people just think, oh, well, they're in acute renal failure. But if you're going in and out of the hospital having acute renal failure for whatever may be the cause, there could be underlying damage uh, to your kidneys. Um, also, even chronic kidney stones. Chronic kidney stones causes wear and tear uh, to your kidneys and will also cause a renal failure. So it's really important to look at the cause, the underlying condition. Was it di diabetes related? Is it infectious related? Is it a genetic disorder? Yeah, exactly. 
Liver is another thing. You know, people don't realize we we do realize we're DOs, we're osteopathic physicians, and we learn from day one in medical school the body is a unit. Mm -hmm. But the liver is a very essential organ. Mm -hmm. If it is not working because somebody has had underlying infectious process such as hepatitis, mm -hmm. um, do they have end stage disease of cirrhosis? Is it because of alcoholism? Is it because of the hepatitis? A generic genetic a genetic disorder with mm -hmm. their liver or this this new thing that we're seeing so much of this NASH. I know. So some patients may have NASH. We see that so much now. And it's non-alcoholic steatohepatitis. So it's not anything they did. It's mm -hmm. just their liver is building up these side of so, these side chemicals. And I'm sure I've got a lot of GI friends who are going to correct me in the comments below. And for that's okay. For, for we'll take the correction. Yeah, I'll take that. So you can butcher it. I'm sorry, I butchered it. But you know, sometimes it's not something that we did that earned this organ system to not work right. It just happens. Right. And another organ system um, is. GI system, right? It's a big system. There's a lot of things that can go wrong with it. And you don't realize like going into the hospital with like a peptic ulcer or a gastric ulcer, or even just um, indigestion, GERD, you know, um, re reflux disease, going in and out of the hospital over and over again with, with this, these type of illnesses will cause a weakening system. People that have constipation as we get less, less uh, young, just like our heart doesn't pump as well, our blood vessels to our intestines don't work as well. So there's a normal, it's normal to have some underlying constipation. Well, that constipation can be fatal um, sometimes if you have a bowel obstruction um, and that bowel obstruction causes a tear in your colon and, and you have an infectious process. Um, nausea and vomiting, you know, uncontrolled nausea and vomiting, like what happened with you're taking medications that no longer are absorbed correctly, that causes weight loss, that causes a nutritional problem um, to your overall uh, body chemistry changes, and that may affect your um, mortality. And certainly malignancy of any of these mm. organ systems, you know, yes. if that's what's making you go back to the hospital and you're getting admitted multiple times in a year, it indicates that that's, you know, advancing. Exactly. That's a concern for us. Yeah. So our number two condition of greater than three infections in a year um, is also really important to look at. Mm -hmm. And you want to take that also by organ systems. Um, so a lot of times patients will go in and out of the hospital, maybe having pneumonia, mm -hmm. um, uh, urinary tract infections. Those are really common as we age. Um, by definition, a urinary tract infection in a male is a complicated UTI. They just men should not be getting urinary tract infections. Women, it's a little bit easier, actually mm -hmm. quite a bit easier, easier. Uh, for us to get a bladder infection. A lot of that's just an anatomical, you know, the way we're made, it's easier for us to, to pick up a bladder infection. But mm -hmm. the only way you really clean your urethra is to void through it. Mm -hmm. And so as our, as we age, our natural defenses against all kinds of bacteria decreases and it's easier for us to get an infection. Right. Plus the use of chronic um, catheterization, mm -hmm. they, they also are set up uh, for infection. The problem with infections is once you have a lot of, you know, infectious process can occur throughout the body on the skin or whatever, um, whatever organ they may affect is when they become sepsis, where mm -hmm. the patient gets a uh, infection that is throughout the whole bloodstream. And it's not as simple as just giving them an antibiotic because mm -hmm. over time, those bacteria begin to get smart. 
and they begin to see, I've seen that antibiotic before and got me the last time, and they begin to learn about the antibiotics. And so we can actually exhaust our ability to fight some infections and we get what they call superbugs. Mm -hmm. And sometimes those bacteria are things that other people can fight off and don't need an antibiotic for. And they actually don't recommend test of cure for people with a bladder infection because at a, after a certain age, we may become colonized with a bacteria where we kind of live together uh -huh. and it doesn't make us sick. And so we don't want to risk giving them an antibiotic, making them sicker, giving them a colon infection, giving them a side effect to the antibiotic, or making that bacteria smart enough that it's not susceptible to that antibiotic. When people say, um, I'm immune to that antibiotic, that antibiotic, we don't want you to be immune to it. Mm -mm. We don't want the bacteria to be really? immune to it. So it's it's semantics. Yes. We want that bacteria to be sensitive. We want it to be susceptible to that antibiotic. Yeah, and we just want to want you all to know is when you have all these infections, there's some underlying disease that's probably exacerbating your, or lowering your um, susceptibility and making you uh, to get sick. And this is not good. It's not a good prognostic uh, factor at all. One more uh, thing that we can see kind of in that same, you know, uh, hospital admissions is, is the dehydration. Yeah. And dehydration plays a role. Um, it can be because patients are not drinking enough when they come into the hospital because, you know, they have uh, urinary incontinence, so they don't get adequate hydration at home. It could be to, due to side effects of the medication that their hydration is affected. It may also be because of their uh, kidneys are not working as well and metabolism causing as dehydration, the antibiotics. Maybe they can't get to the kitchen to get a glass of water. Yeah. Maybe they're in a facility and the water is you know, too far away. They can't mm -hmm. reach it or they have to have someone actually hold the, the uh, straw right. up to them and they just will take a sip or two now and then and they won't really you know, drink eight ounces several times a day. Exactly. Um, the third item that we want to discuss is uh, greater than three specialists. You know, I have to just, you know, my, um, my, I've, I've talked all the time about my elderly relatives, but they all loved going to the doctors, you know, and they would be like so excited because I wanted to be a physician. So they'd be like, oh, today I'm going to the cardiologist tomorrow. And honestly, until I went to medical school, I didn't know how bad that was. But that's not something to be bragging about. It's, it's, it was well, a hobby. It's a pastime. Yes. We're going to go to the doctor today. Uh-huh. It's not, not a good thing. It's not a good thing. It's not normal for you to have to routinely see uh, more than three specialists in a year. If you need a heart doctor and a lung doctor and your, and your PCP, I mean, you're already at three specialists. And how often do you need to see them? And, you know, is your, is your primary physician, is, are they coordinating all of these meds to make sure all these meds get along with one another and that you're doing okay, you're, you're handling all these medications well? Yeah, and I think it's so important to talk about the coordination because if you do not have a good primary care physician that's overseeing as then the mother of the ship, um, then there there could be a lot of uh, drug to drug interactions. Some of the medications may cause harm um, and cause more uh, symptom management. So it's really important to look at why your loved ones are seeing these specialists. Is it because the PCP like kind of has used all their tricks that they could? Mm -hmm. And, to, um, and now you have to help. go to an endocrinologist because they cannot control your blood sugar. This is not good. Mm -hmm. You know? 
And I know sometimes the patients don't want to go to those specialists, Mm-mm. but we've we've done all that we can and we need that extra help. I've had patients tell me, please, I'll do whatever you say. Don't make me go to that specialist because they know it's a worrisome thing for us mm-hmm. to have to send them on to a specialist. And as a primary care physician, I'm not going to lose you as a patient. I just need extra help. Exactly. Exactly. So in summary, we just want to, um, we hope you learned a lot from our video. We want to touch on when, when your loved ones or even yourselves are faced with unrelenting illness or a serious illness, it's hard to figure out the severity and because we're in the moment, we're living day by day. Our, our, our patients are static, they're changing, your loved ones are changing, and it's really, really hard to figure out what's going on. We hope that our three rules of three help you understand um, how we prognosticate uh, serious illness helps us prepare the patient and prepare the family so that they can kind of see what's coming. They can have important conversations and they make sure they keep that line of communication with those physicians open and that the physicians communicate with each other as well as with the family and the patient. Yeah. And we just want to address that medicine is no longer paternalistic. It's really about you. And if your healthcare team is not allowing it to be about you, it might be good for you to look for another healthcare team that might be better suited for you. Or your employee. Yes. Because it's every patient can be different. We may have 10 uh, patients that have all the same illnesses and their uh, management may be different based on what you, what you the patient would like. So include your physicians in those decisions. And if your physicians are using advanced practice nurses or if they're using PAs as physician extenders, it is really important for you to see that physician periodically as well as just physician extenders. That's really true and really important. Um, It's important also to discuss with your loved ones. Um, I'm just going to do another shout out to having goals of care conversations. Um, They're so important. Uh, They they really help loved ones um, look at the big picture. Um, And you want to do it early on in disease process because when we become desperate, we'd start to do desperate things. It's just natural inheritance of uh, human nature. Um, so just make sure that you're able to know what your patient, your loved one wants, advocate for your patient, mm-hmm. and be aware of the three um, things that we discussed. Thank you for listening today. You can also find us on YouTube, channel name, You Only Die Once. If you have any specific questions you would like us to address, please feel free to send us an email at youonlydieoncedos at gmail.com. That's you only die once dos at gmail.com. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you again soon.